That don't mean you let your loved one go. That's probably the greatest temptation in the body of Christ. When you get your feelings hurt, you're tempted to hold on to that hurt feeling because why is it so hard to apologize? Think about an apology and how this just came to me. The reason it's difficult for some people to apologize, if you know what an apology really is, it's an admission of guilt. You have to acknowledge you've done something wrong to apologize. But we are so tempted not to because to many of us, especially from my generation, apology is an admission of grief, an admission of weakness, sign of weakness. And from my favorite TV show, NCIS, when it gives rules, never apologize, it shows weakness. Never admit you're wrong. If you admit you're wrong, you're not a man, you lose your man card. So we are faced so many temptations way outside of sin. And what I hope to show you this morning, temptation should never be an issue for a born-again child of God. We're going to see that in Scripture in just a few moments. But if you want, we're going to start out in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, got the 12th verse. When you get there, if you would, please stand for reading God's Word. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. So have no temptation taken you, but such is common, such as is common to man. For God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. Help me pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, praise you, and we get out and thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I pray that you will give me the ability and to deny myself and to speak only what you would have me speak. And Lord, let this word land upon the speaking heart. Because I know as long as I speak your word, it will accomplish that to what it's being said. The Lord, I just ask you to bless this time we have together. And Lord, if I say anything that is hurtful or wrong or misunderstood, give that person the courage to come to me and ask why. And Lord, if I have something wrong, I'll apologize to them. And I'll ask your forgiveness. We love you and pray for you. Thank you for standing and making peace. Verse 12 is a clear warning against pride. And when I think of these verses, and of course, when my Bible is set up, I'm going to lean on another man now. Verse 12, 13, and 14 are set together as an example of a dispensation of grace. And to me, when you read these verses individually, it's almost like they don't go together because Verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. Once again, that is a clear warning against pride. And in this essence, the pride that I believe is speaking of is thinking too much of yourself. You know, we can get to the point that we have such a high opinion of ourselves. Well, there's no way I can be wrong. We see it in pastors all the time. If you don't think so, go to a pastor with the word and correct It will come against you. If that man or woman of God is not where they need to be in the Lord, they will come against you. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, not all, yeah, I'm going to say it like this, not all men that stand at this pulpit and take that title of pastor are doing it for the right reason. You know, one pastor told me he used to always go, he was a member of a very large denomination, 
And that they rolled up in that denomination. Always went to the big conference they had every year. And they grouped different people together, you know, pastors of uh, really young pastors with older pastors. And he was at, in their little group at, at one of the meals. And he said, he posed the question, I was kind of thought about when did you decide to become a pastor? Well, like me, I knew from the time I was 12 years old that I wanted to pastor church. He said, that's all I've ever desired to do. And one of the other younger guys, he had just graduated from Bible College and actually had his first church. He said, well, I'll be honest. I don't know about the college stuff. I grew up in church and, uh, you know, went to, Bible, went to Christian Bible College, you know, got my degree, and I thought, man, you know, I want to do something pretty easy. You know, being a pastor is a pretty easy job, easy to get time off. And, and I was, I guess you could say, blessed and got a good job. So he was a pastor because it was an easy job. And it is for some folks. It, it, it is, unless you do it right. So what I'm saying all this to say this for pride. And yes, Sister Sue was right. We didn't need to brag on that. We need to brag on that young man right there. He, you know, dedicated four years of his life to doing a wonderful job. You know, I'm excited to see where the Lord takes him and also a little fearful of that. But the more you lift somebody up, just as I heard Sister Karen one time say, uh, that her mama told her, I think she, you know, I'm not say it. I need to be careful now. I'm just going to say what Mama Tidwell said. It's okay for someone else to brag on you instead of bragging on yourself. See, that's where temptation comes in. When you are doing a good job, it needs to be acknowledged. There is nothing wrong with acknowledging someone did a good job or someone blessed you in what they said, whether it's from the pulpit or just a kind word. And we sure should brag on our children, our church children. Amen. But, once again, how is pride? Then look at the next verse. As I said, I, I don't believe you can dispute the fact that verse 12 is a clear warning against pride. Then we have verse 13. Before I go to verse 13, let's think about this again. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Remember, let's think about Romans 12 and 3, where it says, Don't think more highly of yourself. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Do not think more highly of yourself, but think soberly. And that word sober, we automatically connect it with alcoholism or drugs. It does not mean it has nothing to do with it. It means clear-minded. But, and it's wonderful. It's easy to say, but don't think yourself so highly. And I just say, don't have too high an opinion of yourself. But also, we have to not have too low of an opinion of ourselves. And that is, once again, too relevant in the church. There's a fine line between being humble and being beat down. Low self-esteem, being having such a low opinion of yourself, if you're in that school, if you have such a low opinion of yourself, guess what? You're never going to be able to realize and accept what it says in verse 13. You're a child of the king if you're born again. You're heir to join heir to Christ. If that's not something to be proud of, oh, I just said that word, proud. So am I saying there's a bad pride and a good pride? Yes, there is. If we're not proud of our accomplishments, if we're not proud of what we've accomplished, that's if you pulled yourself up. You should be proud of that. And that's just, that's not a haughty problem. Like verse 12 alluded to. Verse 12 is talking about when you think you're so good, you can't do any wrong. But the, the, when we should be proud, saying, hey, yes, I am proud of what I've accomplished. You know, I grew up in the streets of southwest Michigan doing Lord only knows why. I face every kind of abuse you can imagine. This is a confession. I want you to think what you may. 
And, you know, a lot of people are just beat up by the past. This is my opinion on my past. For years, I was, yeah, tempted. The reason it took me until I was 39 years old to, to, to get saved is I thought, well, because this is what I always heard from the church. Not from a lot of people. The world don't, you know. But this is what I always heard. This is the message I got from the church. Well, you, you know, you drink, you cuss, you know, you do this, you do that. You can't go to church. And it took 39 years in my life to realize now that matters. But when I think, I have not forgotten my past. Here's what your past should be. We're tempted all day long to let our past keep us from our future. Your past can be one of two things. Either the anchor that keeps you from your future, all you do is dwell on it in a negative aspect and believe what everyone says, or what your past should be, especially after you come to the Lord, should be the springboard that propels you to your future. Because when I think about my past and the way I used to live, I know the Lord had to have his hand on me. I'm almost like a country star I've been shot at the tonight. That's the old cliche from a country song, but it's true. I shouldn't be here. Not only the stupid stuff I did, but the physical ailments I had. From the time I was 8 to I was 12, the doctor didn't think I was drawing a little bit stronger thing. As I shared with you before, if I'd been five times lighter when I went to Marine Corps, they wouldn't have took me, I was so skinny. Now I wish I could get back that a little bit. But the thing is, when I think about my past, when I first got saved, yes, I was tempted, especially when the Lord started dealing with me about preaching. Lee, I too will always share, he used the excuse not to able to read to run from his home. I tried to use the excuse for the way I lived, because I knew who I was. And, and I've, I've just been blessed. I've never worried about running else on about me. I lived my life the way I wanted to and wasn't ashamed of it. But, I was smart enough to read the Bible. Let's look at verse 13 real close. There have, there have no temptation taken you, but such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make the way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. First and foremost, as I said earlier, no temptation. You will not face anything in your life, no matter how severe it is that someone hasn't went through it. And you will not face anything that this world will not tell you how to get through it. But, as I said earlier, some of us so yield to that temptation not to get past it. But we just read, but the key words here, you know, I love the English language. But God is faithful, who will not suffer. That word suffer just means allow. Let me, put this, let me put it in regular everyday English language. God will not allow you to be tempted. You will be tempted if you allow it. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. As I said earlier, and I stand by this statement. A born-again believer really should never yield to temptation. Because we're going to see in the scripture why. But God will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able. Look at this next sentence real close. But with the temptation. When we are tempted, God will always make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. But here's the thing. And, and I have, I'm a very simple-minded person. This is my 
the way I get that sentence, that, that statement, make a way of escape to make sense in my mind. That way of escape, I may be right here being tempted. And that way of escape is that door back there. It's up to me. God will not just automatically transport me to that door. God will not automatically just deliver. He can, but as Sister Sue talked about this morning, he gives you the opportunity. We have to choose whether or not. As, as the corny little statement I make all the time, no, we can't keep a thought. And a temptation starts as a thought. Whether it's physical, as I say all the time, you can be not hungry at all. You see a commercial for ice cream on the you want our chip, you start thinking about it. Any temptation, anything you do starts with a thought. And you can't keep thoughts from entering your mind. But as Brother Daryl Richter, my first Sunday school teacher, adult Sunday school teacher, called me, he said, now you can't keep a bird from flying in your hair, but you can't keep from building this. You can't keep those thoughts from coming, but you can't choose to immediately reject them. As I've shared with you before, I, I used to really be, I was known for the dirty joke. I mean, they just came. And when I first got saved, it was usually that night when I knelt in prayer. Thank you, Lord. The Lord has always gave me a desire for prayer. I, I, I will not start the day or end the day without prayer. But when I first got saved, it was when I was praying, all that would come back when I remember. And yet, I was tempted to think negatively about it. You know, how can I really be saved and still talk like this? So it was that night when I asked for forgiveness. But then as I got more and more of the word in me, when I would either laugh or slip, let one slip out, I'd say, Lord, forgive me. And guess what? The more I did that, the less they came. I would like to say I'm completely above any wrong word, but I'd be a liar if I said that. But the bottom line is, yes, the Lord will. Now, we're going to see this in Scripture, too. Because it's real easy to think of verse 13 and say that God's the one tempting you. As we'll see here in a moment, God did not tempt. But, and now once again, verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. How does that word go? How does that Scripture? Because we all know what idolatry is. Worshiping idols. Now, while we may not bow down to a statue. Or we may not build some altar to a false god. But we're talking about here temptation. We're talking about your mind. Your thoughts can be. Pride is probably one of the... And I may be stretching here, but I don't believe so. I believe pride is the greatest form of idolatry in the church today. Because in essence, when you're prideful, what you're doing is worshiping yourself. When you think that you are so good, you're above reproach. What you're doing is you're worshiping yourself. So is that not idolatry? When you yield to every temptation, because a temptation is really just a desire to either do something or to think something. When you yield to every temptation, what you're really doing, you're yielding to yourself. So in essence, you're worshiping yourself. But yes, it says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee idolatry. The greatest threat to the church today is exactly that. We've all known pastors, you know, there's a saying, we set it so high up on a, on a pedestal, if they ever fall, it's a great destruction. There's a real fine line in the church today between exalting 
and, and making someone appreciate what someone's doing and set them up for failure. And I truly believe it's that phrase that leads so many pastors to failure. Now I have to be careful. We're in a small time. You all know I'm alluding to. But unfortunately, in this community, we all know firsthand too many examples of exactly that. Men that you would have never expected have fallen. And all in the same way. Now, it's no one's fault but their own. But we are, according to Scripture, our brothers and we should either encourage, but this is what's missing in the church today because we are so tempted to think, well, you know, if, if I go and point out that I see Brother John back there doing something wrong, I'm judging him. That's what the church says. So I'll be tempted. I, I better not say anything. Guess what? The Lord may put that in my heart, not for an ill reason, but the Lord would never put it in there not for ill reason. The Lord will instruct you when you're listening to Him. But does our scripture tell us if you see a brother in error, those that are spiritual, restore him? That is our role. Now, the, once again, it's a fine line between finding fault all the time. Because, you know, this, this is the need of. Temptation is kind of like a sword. You get a little sore in your arm. Sometimes you can ignore it and just go away. Sometimes it needs a little antibiotic cream on in the family. You know, sometimes it'll get infected and it has to be further. That's the way temptation is. It starts out as just a, a little, little nothing. But you ignore it. You guess what? It grows a little bit more. And once again, I'm going to show you this in just a moment. Turn with me to James, the first chapter. Verses 12 through 16. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. I want to stop right there before. Because to me, verse 12 and 13 go together, the way my mind works, and then 14, 15, 16. More together. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. And I just said that God can't tempt you. Temptation does not come from God, but where it does often come from it. And, and I think we're too quick to say every temptation is of Satan. I don't think so. I think temptation more, and we're going to see this in a moment. Temptation comes from yourself. Because you cannot. For it to be true temptation, you have to desire to do it. If it's not a temptation to do it, it's not temptation. If you have no desire to do it. But the word James is using in verse 12, the temptation here refers to a sense of trial. Because notice what it says. Oh, and a little side note. When you see the word blessed here, you know what it really means? Happy. How many of you are ever happy when they go through a trial? It's the truth that you kind of is. Why? Because like you said, that trial, and we see that in Peter, that, that trial you go through builds endurance. If all we if we never had any difficulties in our life, if we never had God to show up big for us, we wouldn't realize how big of a God he is. But 
Happy is the man that endureth the temptation. Key word, endureth. That means you endured it. If you endured something, you went through it. For when he is tried, once again, see, it went from temptation to pride, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So once again, if you have never faced anything, you will never, your strength, your faith will never grow. If your faith is never tested, that's the key word, there's a difference between being tested. Yes, God will test you. He will allow things in your life for two reasons. One, because he knows that you're going to come through it. And secondly, I think most importantly for us, shows us what we can accomplish. But the danger and the temptation to the body of Christ when someone really goes through a, a trial, oh, look at them. She talked about the morning. When, when one of us, especially someone in church leadership, is going through something, instead of lifting them up, we want to talk to them. Can you believe he done that? You know, it breaks my heart when I hear of a pastor's special fall. Yes, for him and his family, but more so for the body of Christ. It's just another example. Why would I want to be a Christian? They've been in church their whole life. Look what they did. See, that's the temptation that comes from the church. And why is that the case? Because the church loves the Christ. It's in our nature. And I'm going to make a, a, a statement that I hope doesn't offend anybody. But call and say, boy, you know, Brother, so, Brother John, he needs prayer. You know, I, I, I just heard some healing. We need to pray for him. How are you really calling after prayer? Are you taking that as an opportunity to call? Right. You know, I heard, I read a, I don't know where I read, but I read a definition of God. If you're not part of the problem or the solution, you're talking about your God. And I'm going to make my statement again. If you're talking to church members about another church member, you're showing discord among the brothers. Now, if I hear something wrong about Brother Edward, and I, and I see Brother Larry, you know, Brother Larry, we need to really pray for Brother Edward. I heard he was doing such and such. Then Brother Larry, I'm concerned. He's allowed to go, Brother, Brother Jake. Well, we really need to pray for that. He done such and such. And if they don't ever play this, the, the game gossip at school, let me go. I start out telling a story. It always changes. But then they really say within three, it can, most people cannot keep a story straight past the third time. If it's a long enough story, it's not going to stay the same the second time. But once again, in the name of wanting to pray for somebody, you can very easily enter into gossip and that gossip could very easily turn to throwing discord among the brothers. And God really frowned on that. But back to what I was saying. In verse 12, we see the temptation referring to a sense of trial or something we're going through or went through. Then in verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted. And once again, it says, When he is, present tense, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he in any man. The word temptation here refers to sin. Or the way I like, the way it makes more sense to me, the opportunity to sin. Temptation is not sin, church. Having that wrong thought is not sin. Until 
Verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and entice. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother. Do not be deceived. That do not err literally translates, do not be deceived by supposing that God is the author of sin or that he impels any man to commit sin. God's testing is to increase your faith, increase your desire for him, to bring you closer to him. And so here, when it says, let every man is tempted, once again, that's being tempted with evil or sin. Let's be real, church. Especially if you truly love the Lord, you don't want to think of any evil being in your life. But the scripture clearly tells us, if any man say he is without sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So let's just, instead of saying evil, that's such a strong word. Let's say sin. So verse 14 says, but when every man is tempted, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. <coughs> enticed is simply, is in God, is, uh, the God or the Lord. And the thing is, that's why I said a while ago, you know, I used to drink a lot. I have no desire. Drinking is no temptation to me. You know, it's like I was, I was with my cousin. And they do drink. I wasn't offended or I wasn't enticed. I would have no desire to drink. So drinking alcohol and drugs is no temptation for me. You are only tempted by something you want to do. Because does it not say right here? Verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And once again, lust, a real simple definition. I want it and I want it now. We're not talking about J.D. Winkler. When you lust after something, it's because you want it. And we all know, once again, in our simple mind, when we think of lust, we think of sex. But you can lust after someone's car. You can lust for anything. Lust is just wanting of his own, let's get the key word here, own love. You are not tempted unless you want it. But the verse clearly says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away, otherwise when he's pulled into it, when he thinks about it, and you don't have to think about it unless you really want it. I mean, sweets is my temptation. Yeah. It's real hard for me not to go to Daylight Donuts. In fact, when I go to Daylight Donuts in the morning, I, I, I will go there with the sole intention of only getting a bacon, egg, and cheese for slime. But my mouth just automatically takes over and says, I'm not taking apple fritter as well. Yeah. <laughs> I have no, have no intention of asking for an apple fritter. But we'll take it. Why? That's what I really desire. Right. Ask my wife. I'm a cookie monster. Cake, cookie, sweet. That's what I like. That's what I want. So yes, sweet are my temptation. And yes, I am tempted. And yes, most of the time, I will yield to that temptation. But other things, as I said, alcohol, no desire. 
I cannot stress the point enough. You are only tempted by what you want. So if you feel yourself constantly being, if you're struggling, I like that word struggle. To me, when I think of struggle, it's holding on to something rational. Because a good friend of mine, you know, we were in a men's meeting, and he said, Brother, I just got to, I need prayer. I really struggle with looking at women. I said, well, okay, let me ask you something. I said, when you, when you look at these women, what are you thinking? I just think they're pretty. You know, to me, looking at a pretty woman is just like looking at a sharp car. And we went on to discuss. He had no love for thoughts. He didn't imagine that he just liked looking at women. He admired women. And I said, here's the key word, brother. You struggle with it. And I said, if you truly don't want to do it, you can face that fact that you really want to, and the Lord will deliver you from that struggle. But until you admit that you want to, that's the key to overcoming any temptation. Acknowledging you're tempted by it because you want it. And does not the Word tell us that God will give us the desires of our heart? So if you desire it, God may allow it because we do have free will. I would God would just automatically make it not where, we, where it's impossible for us to sin, where it's impossible for us to yield, that we would have nothing but fear, holy thought. But I don't think there's any one of us that does. If you do, come up here and let me shake your hand. Maybe some of that will rub off on me. You know, some of those Pentecostal church think that anointing is transferable. Maybe you got a special anointing. I want some of them. But the bottom line is, church, and I'm going to do my best to get out here early because I know we got hot like some of y'all in the week. And I'm going to close it, and I am going to go and close it. You know me, I can talk all day long, and there's a whole lot more I would like to say, but I feel the truth. And once again, I, I'm leaning on the, the knowledge of something a whole lot smarter than me that's been a lifetime. As you know, I'm reading from a date Bible. And just for, for you to understand, every denomination has their own life. And the date Bible is geared towards the, the commentary and footnotes are geared towards Pentecostal church. The Phineas date was the first of uh, Assembly of God, theologian. I don't agree with everything he says, but I love this. Seven steps of temptation. I wish I wrote this down and made it available to you. But first, you're tempted. You thought of it. Second, you're drawn away, strong imagination. Third, lust kicks in at the light and viewing. Fourth, you're enticed, weakening of the will. Then lust is conceived, you yielded to it. Then once you yield to it, sin, sin, sin act is committed, and then death, resulting of actual sin. And I love this factor. There's actually three forms of death. And the death of people here, if you allow sin, and what I think of when it says full grown, as it says, verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And then when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We're speaking of spiritual death, eternal separation from God. See, sin is not full grown until you yield it completely and you die without confessing and repenting that sin. But there's only one thing we can ever do that we can't be forgiven for. That's if we confess and repent of it. It may be, I am thankful God, that some people will not believe in death, death, death. God will take you to a last moment of breath. 
He will accept that repentance. The thief on the cross was a clear example of that. There was no way that man could do any different. But Jesus clearly said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So that man was forgiven. I have to believe that man went to heaven. That he was that his name at that moment was written in the last book of life. That God will suffer you to the very end. So I wanted to share that seven steps because it really clicked with me. You have seven steps to go through before you fully yield to temptation. You in the beginning it may take you may go to all seven. Or one now, you'll go to six of them because you go to seven and that's the end. But God has given us seven steps to go through before we're finished. You may start out, it may take you all the way to the sixth step. But if you truly desire to stop that, the next time, it may be the fifth step. And then the next time, the fourth step. And eventually, if you truly want to stop that, you're going to be at an altar. Whether it's actually at an altar for the church, or your place of prayer at home, or just as you said, just sitting in the pew or driving your car. But you are, if you truly desire to this temptation end in your life, you are getting to, to get to a point where you sincerely seek God. Say, Lord, I am tired of I no longer desire this. But here's the kicker. God is not in the taking business. I, I heard I heard a sermon the other day on the radio. Just, just, just let God take all that from you. I believe God worked that way. Once again, I wish He would. But God is not in the taking business, but He is in the receiving business. And you're willing to give it to Him. You say, Lord, I no longer want to lay it up all for you. You lay that down and walk away from it. And guess what? Only you can do it. Now we can help. Your family that knows what you're going through can help. That's why I think the scripture says, confess your sins one to another. Be careful who you confess to, because once again, sometimes when you confess your weakness to somebody, you can you're tempting them to enter into gossip, which can lead it lead to sowing discord. But everybody should have someone they can trust to go to. I think that's what's missing in ministry. Pastors have to guard themselves. So my first pastor was always, always be careful. Never give your congregation anything to think about. Because he was always threatened by his job as a pastor 35 years before he fell. But every day he was so concerned about someone taking his job. He had to guard himself. And by keeping it off himself, guess what? He eventually fell. We should all have somebody. Now we're thankful we can always go to God, but we're human beings. God, as God said to Adam in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. God did not, and think about this for a minute, church. God walk in the cool of the evening every day. Every day Adam had intimate fellowship with God. But God still says, it's not good for man to be alone. Because he knew once we became a living soul, once we became human, 
We needed that other person. But everybody should have someone that they can go to and, and, and it, for better words, bear their soul. And that, that, they, that they know it's not going any further except us. That's what's missing in them. Too many pastors are on, think they're on their own. Too many Christians think they're on their own. Well, I, you know, I don't really struggle with this. I, I would love if somebody pray with me about it. I'm afraid to say it. Why do you think that is? Because that's what happens. As I said, in the name of asking for prayer, we share it. That's why when someone asked me to pray for them, I would love to stand there all the time. Like that. I, I, I want to I be at the place, but I grab my hand and pray with them like that. Church, don't be tempted to be led astray with modern thought. Don't be tempted to think that you can't talk to somebody what you're struggling with. If that person you're speaking to truly loves the Lord, they will keep it between you and them. And we'll really pray, pray with you about it. Is that said? Brother John, I'm going to turn it back over to you.